0: So something Mm -hmm. happened in 2012, and that's something that you did through, I take it, spoken word, whether it was developed formally or not, but a video went viral, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where a lot of us heard of you. Did you expect, and the name of that was Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus?
1: Yeah. Um, Did I, did you expect that thing to go where it went? I mean, I don't know if you really want anyone, I mean, it'd be a little arrogant to say, you know what, I really want to put out a video and have 36 million views. (laughs) No, I mean, I thought like you know, it was it was honestly an accident. It was honestly for fun. I had no intention of speaking or doing spoken word. I was working at a community center at the time, and my friend makes really good videos. And I wrote something that rhymed. We said, let's put it online. Maybe our friends will see it, you know. Um, and then it just got crazy. So yeah. How many of you have seen the video?
0: Okay, excellent. Crazy. We almost showed it earlier, and we thought, well, no, it, it's out there. It's been how many how many people have seen it?
1: I think it's rated around twenty six million right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So what vibe is that video catching that you would share with us? And it's not like there's one answer to this. No, that is a really good question. Why do you think 26 million people have watched that? What's going on?
1: Um, That's a really good question. It is a tough, it's a double-edged sword, though, too, right, because it's, if I can just be honest with you guys, I don't really want to be the I hate religion guy for life, you know? (laughs) Um, So that's kind of the hard part about it is, hey, you're the hate religion guy. Thanks, thanks. but uh, but there's been a lot of uh, interesting emails that have came from it. A lot of ones that have touched me personally. Um, what kind of, maybe what hit? I don't know, I mean, honestly, I would probably say there's a few things, but the one thing that I would think is, you know, one part of it is that, ooh, Stroman, we in the club? Okay. You no know I mean? um, Is no one likes to hear what they're doing it isn't working, especially the best people on the planet. You know, like, you Pharisees and religious people. If you tell them, sorry, bro, you're not gonna make it, That's you. Know, talk to Jesus. They probably don't really like that. So that kind of, on that side of things, started a conversation. And what I noticed real quick is man, my generation is just burdened. really burdened burning this weight of having to do more, having to be good enough, kind of these caricatures of what Jesus is. And I actually went to a non-Christian college, which is what I wrote the poem for in the first place. It wasn't for YouTube. And I was getting sick of having conversations with people about Jesus and them always saying, well, I can't follow Jesus because I have tattoos and I have a beer every once in a while. I was like, I mean, that's honestly a character, right? But every conversation, they would say that. And I started to get upset at them being like, oh my goodness, that's like terrible if you think that's what Christianity is. But if they all kept saying it, I realized that's our problem, right? They only get that from somewhere, and that's kind of us. Um, My favorite D.L. Moody quote is, you know, out of 100 unsaved men, 99 will read the Christian and one might read the Bible, in the sense of like, we are the Bible they're reading until they actually open that book, and that's a scary, Mm -hmm. scary thing, so... I,
0: I, I think that message has caught fire, obviously, 26 million. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my last question, and then we're going to go to your, do we have tweets that will go up, or are we just going to do live Q&A? I think we're just going to have live Q&A, and if we have any tweets, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. My last question, then I want to have you guys ask the questions you'd like to, to dialogue with Jeff about. Um, and it, it's, a, it's like, it's not your message, but it's you. What kind mm-hmm. of story does Jefferson come from that brings you to a place, spoken word is your creative act, and this video comes out and who's the guy behind the message?
1: Yeah, so I obviously grew up in a very urban kind of hip-hop context, spoken word is under that umbrella of kind of hip-hop and urban. Um, Hip-hop isn't just rap, it's kind of like almost like a a movement, kind of an umbrella of things underneath that, whether it's a dance, spoken word, rap, etc. But, a little lesson for you right there. so that was the context I grew up in. Grew up under a single mom. Uh, knew my dad very legally, if that makes sense. Like I saw him every two weekends from nine to five, you know, like the, the court thing. Um, so I knew him. Um, he was He's a great dad, um, but he was the dad that just bought me stuff, right? Uh, didn't really kind of... Show me what it was to be a man, show what it was to be a lead, stuff like that. And so I grew up in that context. My mom took me to church. We kind of went down that lifestyle a little bit. I wouldn't call myself a religious person in the sense of I was a huge, massive Pharisee that just was oppressive to everyone. I didn't grow up in that context. I grew up in the cultural religious context where, you know, I knew all the songs and all the games and, you know, Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, right? I mean, if you grew up in church, you know that song. If you didn't, you don't. But um, that was me. And by, honestly, I got to high school, and if I can just be honest, that whole, like I was the kid where in the beginning of high school, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't have sex, so I'm better than you, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I trace it back now to the fact that my dad wasn't around. My dad wasn't around, and that produced this real deep sense of me wanting to prove that I was good enough, or at least that everyone around me might say, you're loved and you are affirmed. And so I did that through morality, honestly. I did say, hey, they're gonna, I'm going to be the good, good point, kid. Good I'm going to be the good kid, and everyone's going to tell me I'm the good kid, yeah. and I'm going to get the silver star, right, or gold star. But um, that was me. And then honestly, I got to high school. And uh, later in high school, if I can just be honest, like girls became a lot more attractive than that. Does that make sense? Like the, life, the world lifestyle, the lust of the flesh, became a lot more attractive, which is why 80% of people, the, my people my age leave the church. Because it's just they're trying to white knuckle this thing called Christianity mm-hmm. rather than actually an intimate relationship with Jesus. And you don't white you don't knuckle that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't just try hard. It's not an issue of that. It's an issue of Jesus is better than anything out there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and the example I use for that is, you know, a lot of people treat Christianity in the same way that, uh, like, let's say if we're all out in a desert, okay, um, and you're just about to die because you haven't had water and I'm not a biology guy but what, seven days and die without water or something like that? A couple days? It's probably less than that, Jeez. But uh, poli-sci major here, okay. So um, you're about to die in the desert, right? And if a, if a toilet bowl just automatically pops up, do you think you're going to drink that? Yes, let's just be honest. You're going to guzzle that thing, you're going to pick it up and slurp it, you're going to love it, it's going to taste good. And it's actually might, probably going to satisfy to some degree, right? Now, But it might even make you sick the next day. But now if I'm home back in Seattle, where we have pretty decent tap water, right? I mean, it's a pretty good place. I've realized the rest of the nation does not have good tap water. But, um, and I'm thirsty, where do I go? Do I go to the toilet? No. I've survived 24 years without ever drinking out of the toilet. Hopefully I can make it till death. Um, I go to the faucet, right? Where there's pure, clean, living water. Now when I'm walking to the faucet, and I walk by the bathroom, do I say, oh my goodness, don't drink that, don't drink that, don't drink that? (laughs) Do I? No. why? Because there's something better. Do you see what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, we, that's kind of how we miss Jesus, is we think that sin is just, oh, he's going to hate me or kill me if I look at that or do that, rather than understanding the answer to you not looking at that sin or doing that thing is that Jesus is better, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if you always go to the toilet, it probably shows you're still in the desert and you haven't drank from the living water. And so that's kind of the transformation that took place in me uh, in college when I started walking with Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. How old are you now? Uh, 24, 24, which is crazy because I think Carl said he met his wife in 1984. I was yeah. five years from existing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is kind of weird.
0: Okay. But. One last quick question because in a 24 year old's life, if you've got 26 million people watching the video mm-hmm. that you put out, what gets complicated for you?
1: Uh, what do you mean by that?
0: Or- What's hard to handle? What's the new edge um, that you're dealing with? You can be as transparent as you want, I I, I want you, I know you know that, I'm not
1: pushing you. Yeah, I would honestly say, um, I think my generation is the most broken, fractured, hurt, unaffirmed generation out there, Um, and I think that is tied a lot to the fatherlessness and stuff like that. In my life personally, um, that immediately affected me with the poem. Mm. When the poem went crazy, and I'm going to blogs that I used to read every day, and now my face is on the front of the blog, yeah. and it's not a good blog, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was them not really liking me. Um, mm. That was more than difficult, and I mean more like depressing. Probably the t- two hardest weeks of my life I never want to really? repeat. And it was really God's massive, very quick furnace that sometimes takes 50 years that he did in two weeks of just saying that I'm an actual addict to the approval of man. And you know that by when they critique you, you're devastated. Yeah. It's the same saying, right? Like if, you're, if they critique you and you're devastated, it shows you're pretty much addicted to their praise. It's like the same thing. Um, mm. And so that's really the hardest thing that I try to just stay so on guard. Now, after he showed me that is if you can just become a slave quickly to people's approval rather than understanding that Jesus is your identity, right? What what the Father says of you is true. And and I think immediately of something I learned in, I think it's uh, Matthew 3 and then 4 and then 5, where Jesus gets baptized, Mm -hmm. then goes into the wilderness, then goes into the ministry. And Matthew 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Like that order is deeply pivotal for ministry, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? So first of all, his identity gets declared. He is beloved. And the scandalous thing about Jesus was that he actually believed the Father. That's what was scandalous about him. He actually believed what the Father said was true. We don't. And so his identity was, identity was declared, and then a lot of times we sit in our identity but then go straight into ministry, right? There's no, like the wilderness for Jesus, it seems to me the temptation with, G, the, with the devil and his time in the wilderness was actually a time of kind of taking the hot iron branding and just sticking his identity right on him so that then he could go into ministry, and when ministry, when noise happens, which is in ministry, a ton of noise, social media, whatever, people, stuff like that, his identity wouldn't be washed out because the wilderness kind of branded it on him. A lot of us want to go straight from baptism to ministry without that season of solitude, like she said, or that season of let it sink in. And man, that lesson I learned the Mm -hmm. hard way.
0: That's well said. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. Thanks for letting me ask Mm -hmm. you some questions. I'm already starting to like you. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it. That's good. Okay. I had my shot. Who would like to ask a question of uh, Jeff? And we're here just to be able to be in this conversation around simply Jesus. And Jeff's given us some time. So who'd like to start us? And if you're going to speak up, great. And if not, I can take this mic a little bit. You're corded, man.
1: You can't go very far. Not not too far. Bueller, anyone? I have seen that movie, by the way. I'm 24. Right here.
0: Yeah, he said he had. Sorry.
2: This is kind of a
1: weird question, but if you could go back and do it over again, would you change anything
2: that you said in that video or? Told totally. you do just like you did.
1: Hundred um, percent. You would probably like to know what? Um, it's a hard question. So the internet is a weird phenomenon where. How do I say this? Like if I'm going to go up to someone in a conversation, you contextualize, correct? Like you're a missionary, meaning that you're going to use language, culture references, etc., to communicate to that person what you're trying to communicate. That's just contextualization. Now when you go to that person and you talk to that person and you contextualize for them, you don't have 26 million people looking over your shoulder. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, The internet's this weird phenomenon where you have an audience, you have someone you're speaking to, but everyone can see it. And so there's a lot of people, like what I'm trying to say with that is, there was a lot of people that critiqued me and it was really good and I learned a lot, but there was some where, honestly, I just would read it and say, it wasn't to you, I'm sorry. Because it was funny, but a lot of the people that critiqued me were all the gatekeepers. Honestly, wow. and I didn't write that to that person. I wrote the poem to a 22-year-old college student who maybe maybe just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend who they thought was actually their idol or their god, and now is struggling with depression and might kill themselves. That's who I wrote the poem to. And what's funny is I never got an email from a 22-year-old suicidal person that said, you know what? Great poem, but I really disagreed with your use of religion. I got that from a 45-year-old seminary professor. And that was hard. But it also taught me a lesson on audience and contextualization. But what would I change? Um, I would change because I, 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 I don't like to miscommunicate. And that was really hard that a lot of people maybe heard it wrong. A lot of people maybe heard what I wasn't saying. What I wasn't saying was institution, church, community. I wasn't saying that stuff at all, which is why earlier I was kind of making the joke, I don't want to be the I Hate Religion guy because people hear so many different things when they hear that. Um, I would probably frame it in a way, I would try to be a little bit more clear. I think it was a little muddy, um, and there are certain references that I would have said. But, it's, but that's also hard too though, because I have a line in there where I say, I love the church. No one, no one tweeted that one, <laughs> um, or just they didn't get that far because it was towards the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, have, I, I would have, here's another thing too, uh, I probably would have maybe put the poem, especially with the platform now, I probably would have put the poem before like Church Elders or something. Hey, rip this thing to shreds, you're my accountability, right? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Whatever. And that's mm, what I probably...
0: That's, that's a good issue. have done
1: that as well. Because it would have never come out, right? And then, yeah, and that's a good point too. So,
0: yeah. So I'm thinking about what does submission look like
1: mm-hmm.
0: to uh, a prophetic sense of do this, do this now. Mm-hmm. And the hits, I, I find it interesting that he's almost happened to be more apologetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, A, if you'd been heard by 26 million people on a video, you know it's interesting for him to say wow i never felt so vulnerable and out there and and uh, mm-hmm. and criticized and i'm thinking gosh if i had 26 million people read something i wrote, i would never be so affirmed and so blessed <laughs> but you know but yet we all know that human personality that we all are asked to live in so thank mm-hmm. you for that insight and the second one is that when you're given a piece that that you lead out on it would have never gone out if you'd taken it through the powers that be possibly
1: or it mm-hmm. might have been
0: Edit it down. Does that ever haunt you? Do you ever think it? It does. I think
1: it comes down to having a particular group of people that you really trust God has particularly put in your life to shepherd you. Oh, good, um, good, good. And if you really trust them, then then you trust them. Do you have that group yet? Yeah, there's certain mentors in my life, which is actually one who actually even got me at this conference in the first place and told me about it, um, who's friends with Carl. Um, yeah, and there's a few other ones where they'll, they'll kind of call me up and say, oh, that sucked, you know? Or maybe you shouldn't have said that, or you should have said that differently. Um, mm. So and that was another interesting thing, too, is like, you know, the people on the blogs who don't know me really, really, really had a, quite the snarky and sarcastic tone. My mentors, maybe if I had a mentor who disagreed with it, they didn't have that tone, right? There's that, because there's that idea of covenant when you're family with someone, in the, in the family of God, where even when they do disagree with you, they're not just going to throw you to the wolves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think we lose that with the internet, and we lose that with the global church, that hey even though you don't know that person, when you're typing about them across your keyboard, you're in the covenant community under the blood of Jesus with that person. And that's, that, makes, that scares me when I start typing, honestly, mm-hmm. to be a little bit more careful. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd say. Great question, thank you.
0: And thanks, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Who would like to ask another question? We're close enough, let's do this. <laughs> Anyone past you? Oh, you gotta God. shout. 26 million people,
1: can we hear the poem live? Yeah. Is that... Uh... <laughs> Um,
0: now you don't have to
1: do that. Don't let you do that. Here's the honest truth. You guys are going to hate me. I don't memorize most of my poems. I read them off a teleprompter. It makes my job a lot easier, um, or else I would. That one I kind of have memorized, but kind of not. I haven't done that one for a long time, um, which that's an interesting talk we have about, too, is like, and I haven't really told many people this either, but with the book, I actually am kind of retiring poetry. I just kind of want to be done with it. Um yeah. I don't know if it's because all the flack I got last year or what, but kind of want you to move on. But I wish I could do it for you, is what I'm saying? It would, it would get out Well, there. let me take you there, off there. that
0: hook and say, ah, he mentioned the book. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I've heard this thing's a New York Times bestseller already. It is. What's yeah. the name of
0: the book? And let's talk a little bit about what the book came out of, but what's the name of the book?
1: Jesus is greater than religion. It has the little greater than symbol, you know, like the math symbol. Does it get all creative there. Is it, is it out there? Yeah, it came out last it came out October 7th, so a month ago. All right, terrific. And mm-hmm. so where did that
0: where does that book come from inside of your own journey with Jesus or yeah. what you're trying to communicate that you feel like
1: So that part book of your was, mission. That book was hard because it was very it's very memoir driven. And then each chapter has a juxtaposed theological idea of what i thought religion was what i saw jesus as if that makes sense so i would trace a particular story in my life every chapter and say how i I you know so for example there's a chapter on suffering um growing up super poor food stamps welfare anything you can name it i thought god hated us right and then i realized a lot of times that's just not the case right suffering isn't the fact that god hates you it's, it's actually a time where he can actually meet you really deeply. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, every chapter, I kind of take that idea of what I thought, what I saw, and what I saw in Jesus. And so, yeah, it's tough, though. I mean, I, I, I talk a lot through there. Um, I was very, very vulnerable. That was the one thing I committed to at the beginning, that I wasn't going to be the guy writing a book that says, you know, five years ago, before I came to Jesus, I was just a tool, you know? <laughs> I was, what I struggled with last week, what I look at last week, what I do last year. Um, and there's some stories in there that, honestly, I'm like, man. I wish that wasn't published, but um, I think that was just one thing I learned through the video and through my generation. Is I think they're so looking for vulnerability and authenticity and community. So I tried to do that.
0: Any other question?
1: You. Uh, That's too far for right the here. mic. Right here. You got to shout that, probably. Go ahead. Unless we're gonna see. Oh, oh no, and I think oh. I can do it. Oh, there, okay.
2: This isn't a question, this is a comment. Uh-oh. Um, I saw your YouTube video. Yeah. We're separated by 50 years. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Thank you. But I also read mm-hmm. an interchange between you and one of the gatekeepers, and mm-hmm. I won't use his name, but your exchange mm-hmm. was so wonderful mm-hmm. and so gracious mm-hmm. and so kind mm-hmm. that it was that exchange that really spoke to me.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. hmm I do know what you're talking about, you know, too, it's by as the vul-
2: way.
0: <laughs> Come ahead. Hey, And mm-hmm. I think it's, as, a vul- it's as, as vulnerable to receive what she just gave you mm-hmm. as it is to feel like you put something out where people might feel they can be critical mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. So I hope you heard what she just said. Totally. That's really good.
2: Mm-hmm. Ren. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned vulnerability and this generation really mm-hmm. wanting that. And I totally agree. And um, I find it kind of ironic that it's not really... Very present in Christian um, literature, culture, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, uh, Definitely, um, you know, I'm in my 30s, but definitely, like when I was a teenager in the 90s, (laughs) the Christian culture was not about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It was more about like self-help and stuff. Anyhow, so um, I'm wondering, where do you do you see that in Christian? Do you see it anywhere? Because I see it like in secular culture, like on a certain TV show on HBO that I won't mention that I've actually watched. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> no, you mean, you mean like, do
1: I see vulnerability in any particular s- okay, sectors? So, or? Okay,
2: so I've seen like a couple of episodes of Girls and mm-hmm. um, my husband's like, what are you watching? <laughs> you know, and I'm yeah. like... I'm like and I'm a writer and I'm like, this is great. I wish there yeah. was a Christian version of this. Yeah. So I guess that's what I'm asking. Because like I love I think that show is great on the vulnerability yeah. level. And I wonder where you see it in,
1: in just any sphere Christian. in the Christian world. Um Yeah, I don't see it much. I grew up in the culture again. When I first started following Jesus, I remember going to a church um where, you know, they did the weekly testimony, you know what I'm saying? Where everyone, you know. And the weekly testimony always consisted of, hey, John, come tell him your story. John would get up and say, well, you know, I was pretty much drunk for 40 straight years, shot up meth, and then I came to Jesus, and I only listened to Hillsong United and pray all day now. I'm like, really? There was just this immediate just boom, boom. And I remember, I mean, that's, we're talking weekly. And so it kind of would just beat me over the head after I started following Jesus, where I would just sink lower in my chair saying, this isn't a place where I, like, I honestly, there was a good two years where I was depressed because I didn't think I was a follower of Jesus because everyone that I kept hearing looked nothing. Like, my life was harder when I started following Jesus. I still started doing all the, I'm still doing all the things I wanted to that my, that like, my flesh was calling after, but now after I did it, I hated myself. That's a lot harder than just doing them when you're numb. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, it was really hard. And then I remember there was one thing that just transformed me. where. We I had just a, a biology teacher in high school. He was just a solid believer, public school, and people knew he was. He was just integrity. He was an awesome guy. And uh, I, I, he was kind of mentoring me. And I remember I just kind of really wanted to get all this stuff off my chest and finally be honest for the first time and all my struggles and all that. And before I could even open my mouth, he started, he's like 40 with married with kids. And he just started, hey, I need to apologize and I need to repent. I've looked at this. I've thought of this. I'm doing this. Can you pray for me? I'm like, those weren't even sins against me. What? Like, you're not allowed to say that. You know, you're a Christian. Don't be honest right? But um, <laughs> that's how skewed I was. Um, and it was just through that that really put me on a path of, man, vulnerability really is, I think, kind of one of those key moments, I think, going forward in the church. That's really what will attract people, a place, like I'll say in the poem, but you know, a museum, it's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken, right? And so a place where you can come for refuge, you know? Um, and we should, I mean, even theologically speaking, we're the only worldview in the entire world, That we say our standing doesn't depend on us. It depends on someone outside of us, meaning that person's secure, Jesus, he has done it, he has achieved it. We can drop the mask and drop it all and be vulnerable because we're the only worldview that doesn't have our standing like in us, right? We're not gonna get fired. God's not gonna rip up the contract. We're under covenant, not contract, there's a big difference. Right? You've never seen a five-year-old spill fruity loops and parents say, Oh, you stupid idiot, get out of the family, right? I want my last name back right now. Like you just don't do that, right? Why? Because it's covenant right? And, and the covenants behind you pushing you towards growth. Now, that really didn't answer your question at all. Yes, where do I see it? Um, <laughs> sorry, I like to preach. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak for my generation. My generation's struggling right now, I think, with this because on a whole, I see us really, really caring about authenticity and community and vulnerability, but for some reason only online. Does that make sense? Which that's not even it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, my generation is really excited about community, really excited about vulnerability, and really just, yeah, it's all about being together, right? And then they're unwilling to commit themselves to the things that actually make that possible, right? And someone told me that just a couple weeks ago, and it stuck with me, and I see it now every time I read social media or anything. And so I see them kind of investing in the wrong place, and that's online, rather than taking that offline, committing to each other, taking the mask off, staying for a while. So that's that's what I would say. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Over here. You can just shout it out. You want to? Yeah. yeah. I'll repeat it if it's not loud sure. enough. Yeah, uh thanks for coming out. Thanks, I, man. Jeff, you won't have to answer this question,
0: but my question is uh uh I remember a brother who's about grade a
1: little bit younger than you. Yeah. He's in college and uh <coughs> came over my house and showed me your video. He was all excited about it and showed it to his friends. Yeah. And he, you know, this is a way to get the word out, some of my friends won't listen to the other <laughs> uh, Hanging up the spoken word jersey. No, I'm joking. There's no such yeah. thing. So, I just yeah. see the potential of that ministry. Yeah. Have you thought
0: about
1: that have to answer that? Yeah. Where is that headed for you? Are you going to teach somebody else to do it? Yeah. Um, so, my heart's always to teach and my heart's creativity. Spoken word was a slice of that pie. And then when you have 26 million views, you really get pigeonholed in that pie, right? Yeah. It's just never been my full heart. I like it. It's fun. But it was an avenue to teach and be creative. It wasn't... I'm not like an artist, if that makes sense. I've never seen myself like that. I've always seen myself as, I just want to be creative and teach. So a lot of people don't know, but I do a weekly YouTube video. I kind of, like YouTube's kind of my job. Like I, like that's actually what I do on like a weekly basis, um, is- What do you do? What do you do with YouTube on a weekly basis? Um- What's your job? Like I just make, well, I mean like, well you get, like they pay you. So you can get, like it's a job. And then- Okay. I don't know if you guys knew that. And just Google it. And (laughs) Google owns YouTube. And- and I just make I just make weekly videos. Like I try to set up a weekly rhythm. Uh, and my, my kind of mission statement for myself, just to keep me on track, is I like to make three to four three to five minute videos that hopefully make either, either people look at the Bible differently or make uh, them look at Jesus differently. And that's just what I try to do. So I did I did a series called Most Misinterpreted Verses of the Bible. And I did the classics, you know, Philippians 4:13, all these things, you know, all the ones we put on our T-shirts and say. And eh, you need to take that shirt off, actually. Um, yeah, and those did well, and so I do stuff like that. That's kind of what I do, and um, spoken word sometimes is in there. I, I just don't know. I think I'm just going to keep doing it less and less if that makes sense, because I like the other ones, um, and then writing, and writing is what I like to do, too, and I got another boot book due next year, so i got to kind of figure out what that's about first and before I can turn it in, <laughs> and then we'll figure it out. So, yeah, that's what I do. Good question. Thanks for asking that. We wouldn't have got that information out of this guy. I'm telling you guys, hit. if you need a job, start YouTubing. Start it. <laughs> do it. Do <laughs> it. Ah. Yeah. Sam. Your next book idea, what is it? I don't know yet. Um, is is, is uh, Tom Wright probably not in the room, is he? He's probably already gone sleeping. He's got to get up for his sermon tomorrow. Um, so I, read, I, I really love him and I've read a lot of his books and the thing that's really um, landed with me is just that whole idea of the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth and how that affects art, politics, food, culture, music, life, sexuality, everything. And so I would love to take that idea um, and build on other uh, people as well that I've read and make it very, very uh, conversational, down-to-earth trade paperback like I kind of like my one right now. Just very accessible, very, you know, some people are saying they read my book in like five, six hours. It's just, you know, I mean, it's 240 pages, so I don't know how they do that, but very conversational. And so trying to take that idea, um, because for me, I mean, that's the way I like to say it. I grew up in like, like, the American gospel I grew up in was, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is really, really, really far away, raise your hand, you can go there when you die. And there might be babies with wings if you're lucky. Which, by the way, I don't know, that's weird, right? If you see babies with wings, you should run, not say I want to go there. But, um, and repent, the kingdom of heaven is near is literally the polar opposite of that. Right? Literally the polar opposite of that. Um, and it's not about evacuation, it's about restoration, and that's a big, big difference. I think I heard a pastor say, you know, one of the most awkward times in history will be when, <clears throat> will be when Christians are going up, and God's coming down and saying, where are you guys going? See you later. You know? <laughs> Have fun up there. But um, I'm going down. Um, because all throughout scriptures, we see this massive descent. It's all of, like, I almost see the scriptures as a stair, like a staircase. Every text is him coming lower and lower and lower and becoming more intimate with his people. And I mean, I even see it, the way I like to think about it is in like a large scale is, um, you see in the Old Testament, God is in the tabernacle, which then turns into the temple. So you think about God humbles himself. Like he, it, 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 God has to become vulnerable as the infinite creator of the universe to place himself inside in a building. That's, that's very vulnerable for the creator of the universe. But because he wants to dwell with his people, that's been the goal from the first place, right? That's, that, that exact phrasing is everywhere. He wants to be intimate. He wants to be one. He wants to dwell with his people. And then the Israelites really aren't that awesome, right? Like they don't say, oh, thank you for dwelling with us. They actually kind of say, eh, see you later. Nice try, right? And it says the Israelites were stiff-necked people, which I like to say church people haven't changed much. But um, he doesn't say, okay, see you later. You guys are rebellious and thanks for trying. He actually says, no, I'm gonna even go farther. And he comes in flesh, and he walks among us and makes himself vulnerable to his actual creation. And then we kill him, like, it, like that's brutal, right? We kill God, like, like put that on your resume, you know? Kill Jesus, thanks. Um, and you would think by then, thousands of years, all this pursuit, you'd finally say, fine, you guys are idiots, you don't want me, see you later. And then what's he do? He sends the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. That's about as intimate as it gets right? So he goes from temple to flesh to then spirit dwelling inside us. And he always keeps getting more intimate as you climb down the stairs of the scriptures. And then it gets in Revelation where it says that he will dwell with his people. And we don't even need the sun anymore because his glory will uh, be so bright. And just that idea of like, are we in that grand narrative? Are we in that grand story? Because too many times we zoom in on memorizing verses rather than saying, okay, what's, what's the framework of the story I'm in? And, and that's when we answer that question, at least from conversations I've had with like, people my age, it seems to just do something different with how they start following Jesus. So um, that's all just my kind of ramblings. And, I, and hopefully my job actually this weekend was supposed to put that on paper and send it out because I need to do an outline very soon. But um, thank you for fleshing that out in me. I appreciate that. But yeah, that's, that's maybe hopefully the direction I might go. Good, thank you, Sammy. In the back, loudly, please. How's it going?
0: Um, And also, that video in and of itself
2: kind of created a conversation starter, Mm -hmm. Uh, even among like me and my teammates that I Mm have in college, in the context where I was the only Christian, and there's no way to start that conversation. So, while you may have received a lot of black it I can't even imagine the Mm conversation to started So, thanks for that. Thank
1: you. A good question. I wasn't here when that quote got asked, whatever, but I saw it on Twitter. Um, first of all, thank you for that first part. That means a lot. That's exactly what I want to do with my videos, the, exactly what you said, conversation starter. What I like to say is, like, I want my videos to be a grenade, I don't want them to be like the final answer. You know what I'm saying? I want that thing to just blow up and actually make people have a conversation about Jesus. Because when you're talking about the man himself, that's so tangible, and you're going to get somewhere, right? So, what me, astonishes me about Jesus? A lot of things. A lot, a lot of things. The two things that immediately come to my mind is that I can't put him in a box. Um, there's a lot of factions of Christianity that take one part of Jesus and build a whole system around it. You got warrior king Jesus over here. You got hippie Jesus over here. You got heal and the sick Jesus over here. Last time I checked, he's a whole person that did all that in his ministry right? And we just can't put him in a box. And too many times, you know, the Bible talks about us being a body. All the noses hang out over here and all the ears hang out over here rather than us being one body. So, um, I mean, how weird would that be if you saw a bunch of ears? Like, that's gross, especially if it's feet or something. But um, that's what astonishes me about him is every time I try to put him in a box, it almost kind of disappears. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's when you just let him be who he is and every morning say, man, you do astonish me Do it again today. Do it again today in ways that I might not expect. Let me put my own guard down rather than having some idea of who you are that you have to fit into. Um, And so that's what I would say. And then also the thing that I've just been thinking about lately is just how much power Jesus really had that he had under control and never exerted in a violent or aggressive way. It's kind of crazy to think about how much we lash out with our tongue or how much we lash out actual violently, whatever it is. And I I was saying it in an interview earlier with Anna I just watched Man of Steel. You guys seen that movie? Awesome. Epic. Thank you, Delta, for putting that on the free little TV screens. But um, oh, it was um, there's this scene where he's not Superman yet. He's Clark Kent. I mean, he is Superman already, of course. He has the powers and all that. But he's, he's Clark Kent, and he's in a restaurant. No one really respect him, respects him or honors him. And he's still a big dude. And he sees a girl get kind of like some guy say sly remarks or, you know, that scene or whatever in the bar. And he goes over to the guy and pretty much tells her to stop. And then, of course, it just turns into a scene where the guy's just like this shrimp, too, of course. Total SMS, which stands for small, small man syndrome. But um, totally just like, what are you going to do about it? Pours milk on his head, you know, just all this stuff. And you can just see in his eyes, like, he's Superman. He can literally crush the guy with his thumb. He can. But he flashbacks to his dad kind of teaching him, hey, what good is it going to do, right? And then true power is not exerting it in an act of violence. True power is having power under control that you don't use. Right? So when I remember watching that scene where he was kind of almost blowing up, but then he walks away, I remember thinking, why do we always think it's the harder thing to fight when the harder thing was for him to walk away? Like, that was very difficult. That's power under control, which is the true definition of meekness, by the way, is power under control. Um, and he leaves. And I just remember kind of thinking about Jesus and kind of just going on a tangent of, man, he could have called down legions of angels. He could have just blew us up, right? But his power under control... And not only that, but he actually cried out for our forgiveness in his most painful moment. Um, that's pretty astonishing because I've never, that's never been my reflex, if that makes sense, right? Like I stubbed my toe and that's not my reflex. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Anybody else? We have time for another one or two. All right, let me ask you this one. Because this is the, the one we can... With what you're generating and is required of you each mm-hmm. week, uh, what is the creative process like for you? Where, how, what space do you need to get into in order to get ideas or to yeah. begin to see your outlines or to come up
1: with images or themes that you're going to pursue? How, how, do, you, yeah. how do you cultivate the vid- creativity? It can be a little hard because when you yeah. have like a... You've you know, got deadlines. Yeah, them. I mean, sometimes I can skip if I have to, but yeah, I try to do it every week. And... The thing I try to do is rather than trying to produce something for the video, I've had to be faithful to just follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, in hopes that something might boil over. Because there can be this idolatry where you're only trying to produce content, produce content, that's really, really dangerous, mm-hmm. yes, right? Or you're only studying the Bible so that you can tell other people about it. Yeah. That's another <laughs> dangerous place to be. So I really have to guard against that, but my creative process is just um, trying to be so immersed in the scriptures and in reading and talking with my wife and praying that something's just going to boil up, and I can trust Jesus with that. Um, I am kind of like ADHD, so for some reason, something just pops in. It always, up yeah. oh, there it is, let's go, you know? Um, and they're three to four minutes, so it doesn't have to be that, you know? I, I, it's usually just like what I re- read in the morning or what I've been kind of studying that week, yeah. so. But it can be hard. I think creativity, the church treats as a gift, if creator is our dad, everyone has it. Say that again. The church treats creativity like a gift, like, oh, these special people over here have okay. it, but if the creator is our dad, it's only logical that mm-hmm. we would have creativity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like where else does it come from, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Besides the person who literally wove you into existence, um, and who was creative himself. So trusting that, it's not, it's not a gift, it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. And so when you work it out and when you do it, it can become a little bit easier or you can have a little bit stronger in it, stuff like that, you know? So it's something you have to kind of condition almost, but that's how I see it, so which then comes down more to faithfulness than trying to just be inspired, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So,
0: Jeff, we want to thank you for just showing up. Thank you. And bringing yourself here. Thanks. And again, letting God create through you a conversation that we could hear more about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know how to pray for you. Uh, there's a lot of power that you're being asked to, to be part of. And mm-hmm. so we know that what you spoke to of character formation <laughs> is huge. So thanks for letting us get to know the guy behind the video mm-hmm. and the books. And... Uh, you want to just thank him with a round of applause, and
1: yeah. thanks
2: guys. Thank you. <laughs> thanks,